1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I would love to pray. Father, as we heard the word read, it is our desire that we would submit to you, receive from you what you have for us, that your spirit would convict us in regard to any unbelief in Jesus, any area of our life that needs to be transformed by your grace and power. We ask that you would accomplish what you intended to accomplish through our gathering this morning in our hearts today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Dads, happy Father's Day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Just like Mother's Day, Father's Day is a really great day and can also be a difficult day, right? Uh, Some of us had really great dads, some of us didn't. Some of us have our dads still with us, some of our dads have passed away. Uh, Some of us want to be a dad and we're struggling through what it looks like to see God give us the gift of a child. And so I, I know that it always comes with the mix of celebration and grieving, so I, I get that, and um, I want to just be sensitive to that for you today, and hopefully today is a, a good news day for you, regardless of your situation. Uh, later in my message, I'm going to give you all an opportunity to share how your dad or a spiritual father in the faith was present in such a way with you that they could lead you to, the, to Jesus, and so I want you to share how they were present in such a way that they could lead you to Jesus. So be thinking about that as we talk through this concept of the power of our presence with one another. The text we just heard read, it was from a letter to the church in Corinth. Paul wrote four letters that we're aware of, two that we have, uh, that we get to study and read and learn from and submit our lives to as we believe they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. In this particular letter, uh, Paul is stepping back a bit. He had just spent some time rebuking them for some of the things that they had been doing in their church. And so he pulls back to remind them of his purpose for writing and the relationship that he believes he's writing within. So I wanna read that again in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. So the first thing I want you to notice is Paul's intent is not to shame them for their behavior. They, if you know much about the context of this particular church, it's a pretty messed up church. Uh, they, they've been kind of comparing Paul to all these other super apostles or so-called apostles, and they continue to call out how they think Paul doesn't measure up They had been experiencing divisions in the church and even lawsuits against one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. There was significant involvement in extremely broken relationships, especially in light of how they were to handle themselves in purity. 
lots of sexual immorality going on. It was a pretty significant mess of a church. And what, what would you expect Paul to do in speaking to the brokenness and the mess of this church? He does really kind of the opposite of what many of us do. Uh, we start with talking about what's wrong and he starts with what's right, what's good. If we go back in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, we hear in the first few verses, one through three, a greeting, which is pretty typical of Paul, but then the next thing he tells them about and reminds them of is God's grace. Verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless. That's a pretty powerful word to say to a bunch of really messed up sinners. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul doesn't start with what's wrong with them. He starts with who God is and what God has done and the grace of God poured out through Jesus Christ into their lives. I love the fact that he says God is going to be the one who's faithful even though you aren't. God's the one who's gonna sustain you even though you falter. God's the one who's gonna keep you guiltless in that final day because of the work and person of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here, I want you to understand something that's really profound and at the center of what we believe. We do not believe that we have to make ourselves better, fix ourselves up, clean ourselves up so that God might accept us, but rather we come to God broken admitting our sin, aware that we need a savior and knowing that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that by faith in him, we might be considered guiltless before God because of Jesus Christ. And then he rose again on the third day to conquer Satan's sin and death so that we might have one who can give us power to live a new life as he pours out his spirit into our hearts and enables us to live a life we could have never lived apart from Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. Isn't that good news? Like we should hear that over and over again. Yeah, and we should clap and we should celebrate because it's the best news anyone has ever heard. And it's so contrary to everything we even do. I mean, parents, anybody ever shamed your kids for their behavior so that they'll change their behavior? Any of you use guilt as a primary method to get them to change? Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should feel bad. Let me remind you how much you fall short. Don't you understand what's going to happen to you if you keep doing that? We use shame, guilt, and fear. And what does Paul use? The gospel. He uses grace. He uses God's kindness. He reminds them of what God has done, not what they've done. He starts first with God and his work in Jesus Christ before he confronts their sin. Now, to be clear, he still confronts it, but he gets the order right. He reminds them of what God has done so that they might have hope to come before God with their brokenness and sin. Instead of running away, they can run to the one who has forgiven them and accepts them because of Christ Jesus. Parents, if I could encourage you, especially dads, make it your goal 
in your discipline of your kids, in your correction or rebuke, make it your goal not to shame, but to pour out grace, to remind them of who God is, to remind them of what God has done for your kids in Christ Jesus, to remind them not only who they are in Christ, but whose they are that they belong to somebody who loves them dearly, who can actually provide grace for their time of need, that can remind them that they've been forgiven, that God says in his word through Paul in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I struggle with this, I'm gonna be honest. I too often focus on what they've done wrong or what they're not doing right instead of who God is and what he's done and whose they are in Christ Jesus. So last week, we were, Caleb got out the golfing net, was practicing his swing in the backyard. Janie and I set up the chairs and just sat there and watched. And, and I, I was like, you know, you gotta change your, your grip a bit. And you gotta stand a little bit more like this. And Janie goes, hey, he just needs encouragement. He doesn't need you to point out everything he's doing wrong. I'm one of those dads. I I want him to do better, and so if I'm not careful, he doesn't hear what he's doing well, he hears what he's doing wrong, and that crushes him. I know it. And it doesn't just apply to fathering, just to be clear. It applies to all of our discipleship with one, one another. All of us are called, in a sense, to spiritually father one another. It's a way of saying, how do I lead you to the one who can give you life, and how do I help you grow up in the way that you were meant to live? All of us are doing that if we're doing discipleship if we're pouring our lives into one another. And I want to encourage us, family, to be a church that majors on the grace of God, that that exalts in the real character of God, that, that reminds one another who he is and what he's done and who we are in Christ before we get after behavior. Let behavior flow out of the very nature and character of God, not proceed. Next, Paul, after he clarifies his intent, that he does not want to shame them, but exhort them as a father. He clarifies his relationship. Let's look at verse 15, the first part. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now that word guide doesn't translate really well for us in our context. Some of your Bible texts say teachers, though you have many teachers. That's still not a very good way to translate the actual word there, which is pedagogus. In in the Greek, that word could be translated babysitter. Okay? It's the person who is responsible for bringing the, the children. It might have been a servant of the household, bringing the children from the house to the place of education where they get their training. And so what Paul is saying is Paul is saying, hey, you, you, you may not, you, you, you have many babysitters, but you have few spiritual fathers. You got a whole bunch of people who just kind of feel responsible begrudgingly to make sure you get the training you're supposed to get, but they don't really love you. They won't really give you their lives. They're not willing to just pour themselves out for you. Dave Cox, this last week, as I was interacting with this concept, he said that regularly people at Microsoft will say, yeah, I gotta stay home and work from home today because I have to babysit my kids. To which the fellow workers say, no, that's called parenting. You're not a babysitter. Fathers, you're not babysitters, please. 
And I want to be clear, you're not just good providers. You know, a lot of you are working really hard to provide well for your family and you protect and you want to give them a safe place and you make sure they have the clothes they need and the food they should eat and all these things. And man, I'm I'm thankful that you do that. But please know that if that's all you think the job of a parent or a father is, then you've missed out on fathering. Fathering isn't just making sure they have what they need. Father is giving yourself to them for their spiritual upbringing. Paul goes on to explain it later in verse, the end of verse 15, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm a spiritual father because I led you to Jesus. I'm a spiritual father because I helped you find spiritual life in the one who loves you more than I do. Fathers, just producing physical offspring does not make you a father. Just because you can become a dad doesn't mean you should be called daddy. And there's something much more profound than just doing your job. Here at Doxa, regularly, we remind all of you that we are all made in the image of God. Men and women, young and old, all ethnicities, we are all image bearers of God. Though sin, because of its, our rebellion, has marred and distorted the very image of God in us, we know that God wants to restore us and rebuild us to be a new creation so we can fully represent what he's like. We, we're, we remind you every week that Jesus is the only one who perfectly did that, who perfectly displays what God is like in absolutely every way, so much that he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Jesus came as the true image of God, fully submitting to God in every way, so that if you look at him, you can see exactly what God the Father is like. If we want to, dads, if we want to be the kind of fathers who will lead our kids to the truth of who God is, then we are going to have to lead them to Jesus, the only true image of God. We're going to have to lead them to Jesus, the only one who can change their hearts. We're going to have to lead them to Jesus, the only one who can actually help them walk in a way worthy of the gospel. That's the only way we can do it, parents, dads and moms. That is our job. To be a father, to be truly a father is to help our kids go to Jesus so they can become truly human like God intended. We've been talking about that through this whole series that this concept of being a human who flourishes like God designed us to flourish can only happen as we come to Jesus and he changes us from the inside out and then enables us to live a life that looks like him. Parents, that will not happen by you just having good rules. That will not happen by you just making sure your kids behave. That will only happen, dads, that will only happen if you lead your kids to Jesus. How do you do that? How do we lead our kids to meet him, to learn about him, to submit to him, to love and worship him, to to see Jesus as the ultimate in their life? Well, I'll just tell you as as a dad who struggles with this like crazy, First and foremost, you have got to pray. I mean, I, I'm finding myself desperate more and more as my kids are becoming teenagers. They're awesome. They're sitting here. I don't want to anyway put them down. But I feel helpless at times because they bro- they're in a very broken world going to a school that tells them a different worldview than the one we believe all day long. It's hard. And so it's getting me on my knees, praying for them, praying with them. Even, dads, I want you to hear this. It's in the little stuff, by the way, that you do this. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, we have a weekly worship, family worship time. Great. 
When you wake up in the morning, bring the presence of Jesus into that bedroom. Like, when I have those mornings, I'm like, gosh, I wish you guys would hurry up. I wish you'd get moving. And it's like I'm going in to wake, wake my son or my daughters up. Lately, I've been trying to come alongside of Caleb and just kind of rub his leg or his back and be a little more gentle versus like, hey, buddy, it's time to go. <laughs> it's like, okay, can I be the presence of Christ in how I parent? Because I'm demonstrating the God I know by how I parent him. I want to be clear, moms and dads, you're not Uber drivers, right? Anybody ever feel like you're a taxi driver for your kids, right? Take them to school with the presence of Christ. Pray for them. Remind them who they are. They're going to go to a school that's going to tell them that who they are is completely connected to how well they do. That's what they're going to go, unless they're in a Christian school. Or, but I, I know my, my daughter, our oldest, works super hard at school. She gets great grades. And I have to remind her over and over again, your grades are not your identity. Your performance is not what makes you acceptable. That's something she's going to struggle with. Something I struggle with. That's why I have a workaholic tendency. I'm sure I'm not alone in the room, am I? Can I get an amen on that one? Thank you. We do this over meals. We, we, we talk about Jesus over the table, around the, the table. By the way, if you're, you, don't, you don't have kids, you're not married, you go, oh, this message isn't for me. Absolutely, it's for you. Learn how to do this now with, with one another, around a meal. Talk about what God's doing in your life. Talk about how much Jesus is, is blessing your life, how much you love him. Let the meal be the reminder of the very presence of God. That's why we do this every week. It's because it's a physical reminder of the grace we've received in Christ Jesus. Let every meal be that. Dads, take responsibility to have conversations about who God is, what he's done, and who your kids are in Christ. Do this at bedtime. My kids are getting older now. They're all in their teens and I still work, I'm still trying my best to do a bedtime routine with each one of them. Sometimes Janie has to remind me, hey, go, go say goodnight to the kids and I try to get into each room and take a little bit of time and pray with them and I'm learning how to pray differently in light of the things that they're going through. Uh, I don't do this perfectly, just to be clear. I feel like I fall short so much. Uh, what about sports? I know for me, when both, all three of our kids have been in different kinds of sports over the years. Uh, what do you do with your kids when they lose? You got to remind them that their acceptance is not based upon their performance, that winning a game is not the thing that makes them who they are. Losing a game doesn't rob them of who they are, that they are his and he loves them and he's proud of them and he affirms them as his children because of the grace of Jesus Christ. How about in your missional communities? You know, one thing I love about my kids' uh, kind of experience of the church is uh, they don't really know anything other than being in a missional community. If you're new with us, a missional community is a, a group of people who are saying, let's learn how to love one another like a spiritual family. Let's serve others in tangible form and let's be witnesses of Jesus as his missionaries sent to the world. And let's do life together. Let's learn how to not be alone because discipleship cannot happen in isolation. Let me just be really clear. If all you're doing is coming on Sunday and hearing me preach, you will not grow in Christ-likeness. You can't. You can't do this alone. 
You'll sit there in your own head continuing to think that you actually are living and believing everything that I'm saying, but nobody's in your life to help you realize there's lots of areas where you still need the grace of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that our church is very committed to having us not only gather for strong Sundays like this where we proclaim the gospel without hesitation, we preach the word because it's the authority God's put over us, but we want to learn how to walk this out in everyday life in community. It's so absolutely necessary. And we've had a little bit of a break from ours for some reasons I don't have time to share with you right now, but I will tell you, my kids were regularly going, man, we want to get back. When are we going to get with the missional community again? They were missing it. Missing the relationship, missing the community. And I just kept thinking, I'm so thankful my kids don't know church is only Sunday. They know church is the people of God, living life together every day as much as God can give us in a variety of ways, whether that's texting each other, praying for one another, remembering each other, helping each other out when someone's in need. When someone has a baby, they bring meals to one another. I could keep going on and on and on. But these, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. To be a display of what God's like in the world is to not be alone, but be in community with those who love Jesus in front of a world who needs to see what the love of Jesus looks like. Dads, take this seriously, please. Lead your families in this. Not just dads, everyone in the room. This takes presence. It means we have to really be with people. Some of you are introverts here and you're like, Jeff, it's not how I'm wired. Yes, it is how you're wired. You are not made to be alone. You might go, I can't handle a lot of people. I know. Be with a few. But don't be alone. You might go, how how am I going to lead my kids to Christ? You've got to live a life that imitates Christ. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I send you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Don't miss what he's saying there. He's saying, I can't call you to a life you haven't seen. And I I want you to know that that I am trying to follow Christ as I follow Christ. I call you to follow me as I follow him. And I did that with Timothy so that now he can come and show up and show you what it looks like to follow Christ. That's what discipleship is. That's what our church is deeply committed to, to be clear. We want all of you who know Jesus to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. We want you to say it to your families. We want you to say it to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to whoever God puts in your life. We want you to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul was present with the people enough that they could see what it looked like. It was when he said that, be imitators of me, they all knew what Paul was like. It wasn't just a, a, a letter he sent. He spent life with these people. He gave them himself. The elders this last year asked me to cut back on my travel, which was hard, I'll be honest, but it was a blessing. They knew that I wasn't present enough here at Doxa to lead it well because of my speaking elsewhere. They also knew it was going to hurt my family if I continued to do it because I was going to be distant from my kids. And they knew that I would look back one day and regret it. That they would grow up and I would have missed it. And I'm so thankful for our, our elders. They're godly men and their wives are godly women. And they love, they love Janie and I very much. 
And I say that to, to tell you, this is, a, this is a, a protected church. This is a church that honors the Lord, submits to his word, and has elders that want to make sure we follow through with the things we say. It's a real gift for me to be a part of this church and this team, that I have people who love me that much. But I realize that just not traveling is not gonna do it. You can be present in the office, you can be present at home and not really being present. I had to learn that real presence is being with people, not just in the room with people. The presence isn't just me being at the dinner table, it's me engaging more intentionally with my kids' hearts. I can't call people or my children to imitate me as I imitate Christ if I'm not really with them. And so I say that to you, family, I'm sorry for the ways I haven't been fully with you. Thank you for your grace. Continue to pray for me. In fact, the thing that God convicted me of as I was preparing for this message is that if I say follow me as I follow Christ and I'm not present, then I'm kind of communicating to you that Jesus isn't present. I can say I believe in the incarnation or God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ so that he might dwell amongst the people and then I can preach that all I want, but if I'm not doing it, I'm giving you a message you can't see. And Paul's really clear that we are meant to be living epistles, not just people who preach and then do something different, but we do what we say. That when we talk about a Jesus who's present, we're present. And not just in the room, but with one another. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever been with somebody and you're, the whole time you feel like they're not really there? You're talking, but you don't know if they're present? Have you ever been that person? Like your mind's somewhere else while they're sharing and you're sometimes even trying to think of what you're going to say next. So you, you're putting together the, your own discussion in your head and your own argument in your head. And they're, they're like, hey. And you usually can tell because of the things that come out show that you didn't really hear their heart. Paul was present with people. He, he gave his heart to people. He loved them dearly like a spiritual father who wanted to represent the truths of Christ in the way he was with them. And he did it so well that he could send Timothy because Timothy got it too. It got reproduced in his disciple. This is discipleship, family. I know I'm talking about dads and fathering, but I want you to understand, this is discipleship. This is for all of us to learn. So I, I want to be able to send my kids off into the world and go, man, I imitated Christ for them and I led them in the ways of Christ in front of them and I'm confident that they can go out and do the same now with other people. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And family, that's what I want to be true of some of the older people in this church as well. Some of you, you're like, what's my role here? You need to be like spiritual grandfathers and grandmothers in this church. We need older, wiser people who traveled through the, 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 the challenges of faith, walking through a world that's really hard to live in, and we need you to pour your lives out for some of the younger people in the faith, people who are just trying to figure out what this is like, how to get through these things, how to face some of the struggles so I want to encourage you, if you thought that the, the whole point of your life was to make a lot of money so you could retire and be all about yourself, 
That's antithetical to the gospel. Instead of retire, think retread. Okay? Just repurpose your life to give it away. I had a younger woman come to me a couple weeks ago after the gathering and said, I really would like an older spiritual mentor, someone who has been walking with Jesus for some time. Do you know of anybody? And I, there was a woman who had told me that she was open to doing that if ever there was a need. And so I emailed her and she gladly accepted. And I was just so thankful that we have women like that in our church. And that some of you, 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 you didn't know that you were called to that, but I'm calling you to it. Okay, some of you men, I'm calling you to that. We need you. There's a generation who has largely not been parented towards Jesus that's in our church right now. And they need older spiritual parents to come alongside them and guide them in the ways of Jesus. And there's some of you who are young going, yes, Jeff, it's about time you said that. And I wanna say, do you know how Timothy got developed? He showed up, okay? Don't sit back and wait for someone to pursue you. Don't just attend once in a while. Be a part of this church. Be, be engaged, serve, give your life, push in, get into a missional community, ask for it, but don't just ask for it, engage it. I've had many guys who'd say to me, Jeff, I would love to be mentored by you, and then they don't show up. And then I ask them to do something and they don't do it. And I'm not trying to, this is not to your shame, just like the Apostle Paul. It is just to say, this takes all of us pressing in, taking seriously what it means to grow in Christ-likeness, all of us need to take responsibility. And you know, being present with, not just physically, but with, requires that we need to learn how to be present with God. Because what you give away is always gonna be connected to what you've received. You can't demonstrate to others what you haven't personally experienced yourself. You and I are gonna imitate who or what we love the most. We all become like what we worship. Your life will tell others what you're most impressed with because you begin to take on the attributes of the thing or the person or the culture that you are most impressed with personally. If you wanna know who your God is, look at your life. You become like what you worship. So fathers, especially I want to ask you, but I include everybody else here, who or what are you most impressed with? Who or what do you spend most of your time thinking about? Who or what do you want to be like? What's the first thing you go to when you wake up every day? Is it your phone? And then the next thing is your sports app or your Facebook or Instagram or whatever else that you look to, or is the first thing the word of God? You get up and you say, I wanna sit with you, Father. I wanna learn your ways. I wanna open your word. I wanna learn how to walk in ways that represent that I actually know you. See, because you don't become like God by just trying. You, get, you become like God by being with God. That's how you become like him. You want to, I want to be more Christ-like. You can't be unless you go to Jesus. I want, to be more like, I want to be more like God. I want to be the kind of man he made me to be or woman he made me to be. You can't be unless you go to him. It comes with relationship with the living God who intends to re-parent you himself. 
You ever have one of those moments where you're looking at your kids and you're like, where did they learn this? They learned it from watching you. This last week, Tim and I met with an African-American pastor on the east side as we're trying to learn how to reflect more of what the kingdom of God looks like in our church in all of its beautiful diversity. We're trying to learn, we're trying to repent where we need to. And he said, you know, my big verse is love. Jesus, when Jesus said, as, as I loved you, so you should love one another. He said, that's, that's the, kind of the key text for how, what I'd say to you guys. Like, love one another like Jesus loved you. And he said, the reality is your church will reflect what you love. Your church will reflect how you lead. And he said, there's not a program I'm gonna give you or a, a thing you should change in your gathering. He said, the first thing I wanna ask you to do is do you have friends that are not like you? Do you spend time with people that don't just resemble your resemblance? They don't resemble your, your skin hue. He said, are you, are you with those? And I said, I'm, I'm with one right now. <laughs> and, uh, and I realized that I can't say that I have a lot of friends who are a lot different than me. I tend to pick friends who are a lot like me. And I was deeply convicted that if we're gonna lead a church in a particular way that we should go, we gotta actually go there ourselves. I have to be a spiritual father, as it were, who's gonna lead the way by my example, not just by my instruction. And so I was deeply convicted about that, that I want that to change. And I know that as it does, we will also change together. And the thing I really want you to hear today is that God wants to reparent you himself. The truth is some of us have had good dads. I had a good dad. It wasn't perfect. I have a good dad. But even I need the heavenly father to be a far better dad for me than my earthly father. I tell my kids all the time I'm not really their true, real, their real dad. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> it's a joke. I mean, I don't, they know what I mean because their heavenly father is their real dad, their true dad, their eternal dad. I'm just here on loan for a short period of time to do my very best to tell them what he's like by how I love them towards Jesus. And one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids, dads, is to admit that you fall short, to acknowledge your sin and confess it to them when you, when you fail. Because that's gonna give them the opportunity to see that you're no different than them. And you need Jesus as much as them. I may have shared this story before, but I want to share it again. My younger brother, Jerry, he and I are pretty close in age. We're four boys, and we were the middle, two middle children. My dad's business went in, into the ground several years back. It wasn't doing well. And uh, it, was, you know, it really was his retirement, so it's a pretty big deal in terms of what it meant for our family and they called Jerry to come in, and he's a pretty savvy businessman, and so they, he took over and rebuilt the company and did a brilliant job, actually. It's very profitable now. And uh, he called me one day, really frustrated. He said, man, Jeff, no matter what I do, Dad will never be proud of me. I feel like it's never enough. And I said to him, first of all, you need to understand, like, he is proud of you, and he brags about you to everybody. It's like... You're not hearing well. But then I realized, and I love how the Spirit of God will just give you insight into a moment. And it happened. And I said, here's the thing I'm concerned about, Jerry. 
is that until you get your primary and fullest affirmation from God the Father, you'll always be wanting dad to give you what only God the Father can give. And it will always feel like it's not enough. And you'll always need to work more. Why? Because he's an imperfect dad and an imperfect dad can only give imperfect affirmation. Even his best attempt will never satisfy the deep longing of your heart to hear, well done, my child, my son, my daughter. I'm pleased with you. There's only one who can really say that and it it satisfies the deepest longing of your heart and that's God himself. And he sent the son, Jesus, to perform the work on your behalf so God the Father could say in Jesus, Jerry, I'm proud of you. I accept you. You measure up. I said, you need to understand, dad's as in need of that affirmation as you are. You guys are no different. And you got to see him more like a brother and less like a father so that you can come alongside your brother and go, we both need the father's affection. He called me several months later after he'd gotten himself in quite a bit of trouble, came to his senses, and he said, Jeff, for the first time in my whole life, I really get that God loves me because I've really messed up and I know he's forgiven me and I know he's accepted me and he told me later he believes that was when he actually became a Christian. He'd grown up in the church saying he was a Christian all his life but he'd never experienced the presence of God poured out by his spirit affirming him as a child of God dearly loved because of Christ. And then he said, you know, all those things you've been saying they'd never made sense to me until now. And there's some of you in the room, and I want to I be clear, there's some of you in the room who may have been in church all your life, but when I say God the Father loves you, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. That isn't, that isn't something I experience, something that I know, and I want to tell you, today could be the day where you get to experience the Father's love poured out in your heart through his spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. Don't, please, don't just go to church. Please, don't just do spiritually religious things. Please know him. You can't lead someone to somebody you don't know. And dads, if you've been here and you're, I just want to do a good job and get my kids to church, but you don't have a vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please, you need to meet him yourself. You'll never be able to give them something you don't have. You know, as we were talking through Father's Day and around the office, we discovered that Mother's Day is the third most attended service and Father's Day is the last, the worst attended service in the entire calendar year. We were asking ourselves, why is that the case? And some of us said it might be because, you know, moms actually like to go to church so the family feels obliged to go with them. And dads would rather be let off the hook and go golfing. So everybody lets dad have what he wants on Father's Day. Obviously, that's not you who are in the room. Those who listen online will hear me say that. We also said maybe it's because most Mother's Day messages tend to be 80% encouragement and 20% exhortation. And most Father's Day messages tend to be 80% exhortation and 20% encouragement. So dads are like, I'm not showing up. I know what he's going to say. <laughs> I hope that you got encouraged in the gospel. I hope that it was an exhortation that is good for your soul. I'm not here to beat you up, dads. I'm one of them. I know how hard this is. 
I'm here to remind you that there's a better dad than you. And we all need to go to that father for all the ways we fall short. And we need to lead our kids to that father for all the ways we're not gonna be good enough for them. And those of you who didn't have a great father, I'm calling you to go to him now. Instead of going to your earthly father to make up for what he didn't do, go to your heavenly father who already did in Jesus Christ. That's how your hearts get healed. That's how you get to become more and more like Christ is by going to the one who can change you from the inside out. And that's our heavenly father. All of us need grace and encouragement and help for the ways we've fallen short. Amen? So let's go to our heavenly father who can do that. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge we desperately need your grace for all the ways we fail. We need your help for all the ways we feel incompetent and weak. We need your presence because we can't give our kids what we don't have. So we ask that you'd pour your spirit out into our lives so that we can give them the very real presence of God because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.